Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by uh, the resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Well, we've got about a month left of this semester, so in a month I'll be doing really good. Good. Yeah. Uh, did, did you get... Right now, just busy. So you're doing school stuff. Are you dealing with any tornado stuff <laughs> recently? Uh, you know, luckily, we had we had a tornado yesterday a little north of us. Tornadoes yeah. Yeah. Sunday a little south of us. So everything missed us, luckily. I don't know how that happened, but we got hit on every side but the town of Tuttle. So... We were we were there watching the news very extensive on Sunday and just covering everywhere and heard Tuttle mentioned. Uh, we were in Edmond right now uh, and it went it moved south of us and then went around east of us so missed there. But this morning, the day of the recording, uh, we were woken up at like five o'clock to tornado warning <laughs> sirens. So that was cool. Uh, yeah. So anyway. Great. <laughs> not not too fun. I think we're done with it now. I think it's cold weather now. I think we get to enjoy all of that stuff and uh, Hopefully. not deal with the tornado stuff. I'm looking forward Hopefully. to cool weather. No longer hot weather. Uh, but as we... Uh, this, You'll want to pay attention to this, Spencer. This is what we call a, uh, this is what we call a segue in the business. This is a very good one. Uh, as we move away from heat, we have one final hot thing to talk about that's terrible <laughs> that's horrible I, uh, the question today is we're gonna is have God to get someone to <laughs> we're gonna have to get someone else to introduce our episodes from anyway let's talk about now on is that better uh, just go there. <laughs> uh, we'll have a little more to say about this in just a moment but before we get into all of that uh, if you have any topics you'd like for us to cover questions comments criticisms of this or previous episodes we'd love to hear them you can email us at i'm sure you've got them so yeah. let us <laughs> let us know uh, at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or uh, get to spencer and i on facebook just personally message us and all of that uh, or you can still get to spencer on twitter and those sorts of things so uh, make sure you let those things uh, make those things known to us we'd love to hear your feedback even if it is bad. Just don't be mean. Uh, we're talking about the question, does God send people to hell? And this, like a lot of our episodes, uh, is just building on the previous ones. Uh, this one, Spencer has had kind of half written for the last like three months worth of <laughs> podcasts. Long time. Uh, but it kept getting pushed because, well, we need to talk about this first. We need to talk about, you know, did, did God abandon uh, Jesus on the cross. We need to talk about that. We need to talk about uh, the Trinity. We need to talk about uh, those things first before we can get here. But now we now we've arrived during the final which means of hot in season and all that. <laughs> which means I have no idea where we're going in the next episode because I've been building to this for months and now that we're here. It's kind of that love-hate relationship. We're finally here, but now we're here, and I don't know where to go from here. So. Sometimes the not knowing is 
the best. But I suppose that opens up uh, an opportunity for people that want to message us and suggest your ideas. We're Give me something, yeah. please. We're not out of ideas. It's just... Oh, uh, no, I've got plenty, yeah. but it'll make it easier to choose one. But we'll have to... We're, we'll transition a little bit, move. Probably not. I'm sure you'll think of something that goes, well, now that we've talked about that, we can talk about this. Probably. <laughs> but this is what we're talking about right. today. Uh, this is a question that <laughs> I've seen addressed on a number of other platforms and things like that. Does God send people to hell? How does all of that stuff work? Uh, there's a bit of a, uh, if you're ready to, to jump into it, a bit of a dilemma with these things about a loving God and hell being this uh, horrible place. How can both of those things you know, be true? How can both of those things exist? Do you want to expand on the dilemma a little bit there for us, Spencer? Sure. Uh, so it's a dilemma that we've probably all heard before. On the one side, the idea that an all-loving God could never send a person to hell. Um, and that's, you know, the, the passage that comes to my mind is 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We've talked about before about God being love. And so there's, there's this idea, if God is love, if God is truly all-loving, which is what we as Christians claim— or should be right, claiming right. that God is all loving, not just partially loving, but God is love. God's the very embodiment of love. We'll talk. We've talked about that a little bit before. I'll bring it back up here again and expand on that in a moment. But that problem of how could God, if He is all loving, send someone to hell? And most of us probably know someone that either left Christianity, uh, isn't a Christian, is hesitant to become a Christian, or at least have talked to someone who fits into one of those or a similar category because of this. They, yeah. they just can't wrap their minds around how an all-loving God could send a person to hell. On the other side, I think sometimes we as Christians are a little bit too reluctant to push that question aside. You know, we we hear people use that as a as a reason not to become a Christian, and so we want to quickly reject it and say, "Well, that's not an appropriate way to think about God." Uh, but I don't want us to to do that. I want to caution us to do that because I think it is a rightful concern to have, and I think by just pushing it aside and trying to quickly answer it, we don't give it the necessary weight that it deserves. That that is a weighty question because it yeah. it is something we have to try to figure out that's not easy to figure out how an all-loving God could send someone to hell. And so I don't want us to just reject that as, well, that's a crazy way to think or something like that. It's not. It's very logical to come to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, it's a very weighty thing to deal with. And uh, so that, that's part of what I want us to, to do is give adequate weight to that but on the other side, uh, which is normally where a lot of the times we want, as Christians, want to jump to answer it, is to the justice or, or the wrath of God. Because not only is God presented as, in Scripture as an all-loving God, but he's also presented in Scripture as a God of justice, as a God of wrath. I, I have a, just a few passages that I wrote down. I think about Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and of right, and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the idea of God's wrath against evil, against sin, against unrighteousness. Um, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, the rock 
We're talking about God. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Everything that God does, in other words, is just, is produced from a concept of justice. And maybe that's our next topic. We'll define justice uh, biblically. Might be a fun thing to to do. Anyways, that's a good one. Uh, side note, uh, Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So we have God presented as a king who rules his people, rules the world, rules the cosmos uh, with justice, with righteousness. It's actually interesting. The second part of that verse says steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So even in God's justice and God's righteousness, uh, we have the idea of love in there too. And so that just brings up this dilemma of how do we balance the two? How do we balance God's love and God's justice, both of which are affirmed in Scripture, in a way that stays true to who God is, a way that stays true to what Scripture, uh, specifically what Jesus has revealed to us about God. And, and I think that's so important. I'll bring that up again in a minute. But we've talked about very early on when we just started the podcast, if you've listened to our early episodes, we were defining what theology is, speaking about God, that the center is Jesus. God, what we know about God is only what God reveals to us about himself. And the climax of God's self-revelation is Jesus, who was God in the flesh, God literally walking and talking among us. And so that's where you have to start to say anything about God, is you have to start with Jesus. So we we want to balance these two in a way that's true to God, a way that's true to Scripture, a way that's most importantly, I think, true to what God has revealed to us about himself in Jesus. Jesus is where we have to, to start. And so that's, that's kind of the, the dilemma that we've all heard, that we've all probably struggled with, I would assume. I, I would actually kind of kind of hope if we've given a good enough weight to the love of God, we've struggled with this question. We've had doubts about this question. I know I have, and I think that's just part of what it means to do theology. Um, I'm reminded of, you may know that the name Israel uh, means one who wrestles with God. That's literally who Israel is, a people who wrestles with God. I think that's what we're called to be in relation to God. It's not people who have all of the the answers, never doubt any of those kinds of things, but we're people who are in a lifelong wrestling match with God. We don't always understand. We don't always like things. We don't uh, always like what God does. We don't always understand. We, we doubt. We have questions, but that's part of what it means to do theology. That's part of what it means to be the people of God, to live by faith and not by sight. And so it's a lot of things there that we're going to try to balance in one episode, but luckily we've talked in some form or fashion about all of them, I think, which is why this is set in the archives for three months. Yes. (laughs) Um, And thinking about what you were talking about there of love and then justice and wrath and the the balance and things between all of that, I was reminded of uh, the Exodus 34 passage of God uh, passing over Moses, revealing uh, his his name in all of this. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that's, 
how could a God like that? Well, then, then we have the other side. But who will by no means clear the guilty, but who will, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation there. And so even God revealing himself, and this is quoted throughout the Old Testament especially, heavily uh, from Nehemiah to the uh, prophets and others, uh, repeat this idea and talk about God as loving, and that's always present, but then there are these other elements too uh, that fit in there. Uh, and again, we got to look at that holistically, which is exactly <laughs> what you're about to do. Uh, before we can talk about the, I guess we'll say the place, we need to talk about the person, uh, the, the nature of God, what God is like, uh, how he is presented to us, and as you said, they're uh, presented to us in Jesus, uh, and what all that means in relation to hell, we'll get there in a moment. Uh, but let's talk about God's nature. I think we've messed with this before in a previous episode, uh, as you've said, or talked about some of these pieces uh, maybe in the, it might have been the Trinity episode, we discussed this a little bit and how some of these different characteristics fit uh, and describe God, uh, but we want to get a little more into that here uh, in talking about hell and answering the question of today. Uh, Spencer, what do we need to know about God's nature, about who he is? Yeah, so this, I, I think this is the place you have to start because when you're asking the question, does God send people to hell? That's a question that is directly derived from the nature of God, of who God is. I think if we understand who God is, the answer becomes pretty simple, I think. Not simple in that there's no issue, there's no problem, there's no struggle, but we, we are led to an issue that we can wrestle with, to go back to the, the imagery uh, that we actually see in, in Scripture. So when we were doing the, the Trinity episode, uh, we, we talked about how the these characteristics of God, such as love, justice, righteousness, even things uh, such as beauty, that these characteristics are a part of God's nature or they're a part of God's essence. Uh, and what the essence of God is, is the things that God must have to be God. So they're the things that without with God is no longer God. And if you've listened to the Trinity episode, we talked about that in light of God being three and one. The Trinity itself is part of God's essence, that without that, God's not God. And so if we go to the direction of God, of overemphasizing God's oneness, God ceases to be God. Or if we overemphasize God's threeness, God ceases to be God. Because a part of the very essence of God is the Trinity, three in one. But there's more that makes up that essence. You've, Like I said, love, justice, righteousness, beauty. Any of those things are necessary for God to be God. If we talk about God as not loving, God's no longer God, at least not the God of the Bible. Uh, if we talk about God not being righteous or just, then God ceases to be God. That's part of who God is without which God would not be God. And so you, you, you have a list of characteristics, and we could go on and on and on about other things that I would want to tie to the very essence of God. But, but the interesting thing is, is that Scripture only ever says God is one thing, that God is love, as we saw 
in First John one and verse four, uh, in First uh, John four and verse eight. My bad, uh, where it says that God is love, and so God has these characteristics that are part of His essence of justice, righteousness, beauty, so on and so forth. But Scripture never says that God is justice or that God is righteousness or that God is beauty, even though to an extent God is those things. Right. They're a part of God's nature. They're a part of God's essence. But Scripture only says that God is one thing, that God is love. And so it seems to me that love is presented in Scripture as more of a core principle to who God is than any of these other characteristics that are a part of God's essence. I, I think we see that in 1 John 4, 8, where it says that God is love. Not that God is any of these other things, but God is love. I, I think we see it in Jesus. Again, that's where we want to start, and we're going to come back to this. But we, we think of John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Uh the idea that what we see in Jesus is the manifestation of the love of God. That the only reason Jesus is, is because of God's love. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from these other aspects of God's nature. Sometimes we we, we, we may want to say that it does, but it doesn't. God could be just without sending Jesus. God could be righteous without sending Jesus. Just let everybody die. That's what God could have done. He didn't need to become a human being to be just, to be righteous. The reason he did is because he loves us, which is what uh, is said there in John 3.16. That's why Jesus came, not because of any of these other things, but predominantly because of love. So when we look at Jesus, we see that love seems to be a little bit more core to who God is. We talked about this again in the Trinity episode also, that only love actually exists in the inner relationship of the the Trinity, which to me is interesting, that love exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Not justice, not righteousness, not beauty, not anything else. Love exists within the Father, Son, and Spirit. They love and have a loving relationship with one another, uh, which is why I think Scripture says that God is love because it's there at the very core. You can't get any more to the core of who God is than the Trinity. And right there in the Trinity is love and only love is what exists at the very core of who God is. So why I want to say things like justice and righteousness are part of God's essence without which God is not God. I also want to say it seems that more core even to those is the idea of love, which is why some theologians throughout Uh, church history have claimed that love is what binds the Trinity together. What makes the three one is love. Now, I I think there, I think there might be some issues with that language, but to me, it highlights the idea of how central love is to who God is, that love binds the Trinity together, that love is what makes the three one. Like I said, I, I think there might be some theological issues with that, but what it does do is it, emphasize how core love actually is. And so, since love appears in the way God has presented himself, in the way God has presented in Scripture, 
to be the most core aspect of who God is, then God as a God of love must be understood primarily through the lens of love. Love must be the lens we view all these other characteristics of God's nature or God's essence. So when we think about God's justice, for example, we look at God's justice through the lens of God's love, not the other way around. Uh, We view God's wrath through the lens of love. We, We view God's righteousness through the lens of love. We, we hold the love of God as the primary characteristic of how we understand everything else about God. And so th- this idea of love is where we start with mm. who God is, which is why I would argue we move to the we, we, we move back to our question. Does God send people? To hell, can a loving God send people to hell? If if we start with love and we give adequate weight to the idea of a loving God sending people to hell, when we think about God's justice and God's wrath through the lens of love, I would want to argue, which is where we're going to go next, I'm going to make this argument. I would argue that the answer has to be no, that, that a loving God cannot send people to hell. If, if that's where we're going to start, I don't see a logical way where we get to the idea of God sending people to hell. But nevertheless, that I think we can say that and not contradict the idea of God being a God of justice, a God of wrath, a God of righteousness as well, which is where we're going to go here in just a moment. All right, well, I don't have much anything to add here other than uh, if you're listening to this and going, is Spencer about to destroy hell now or something like that? Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> keep, keep listening. Uh, a loving God cannot... Don't turn me yeah, off yet no. and call me a heretic. You can wait until the end and then do that. That's fine with yes. me. You'll I do that on Twitter. You can join the club. Um but at least wait till the end. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the things with uh, what you mentioned there about the lens of love, we've talked about lenses many times uh, on this podcast because that's uh, part of what thinking theologically requires, uh, thinking through or looking at things through certain lenses, uh, and you can see us doing that in various episodes. Uh, and this is particularly important um, in looking at the topic of hell Uh, and exploring hell through love. How do you have a place that is described the way that it is uh, so, I mean, it's so viscerally so bad. Uh, How do you you square that with a God that is all loving, that love is the core uh, of who he is? So let's talk about that relationship here. Uh, The other thing with that I want to say in listening all the way through uh, is the intellectual honesty part of things. Uh, always, always listen all the way through what somebody has to say uh, and be willing to at least entertain an idea, even if you walk away not agreeing with it. That's perfectly, perfectly fine. Um, but always listen through what somebody has to say there. So I'm not getting on to anybody listening to this. I, I think our listeners are fantastic from all the interactions that I've had. I'm just saying. Uh, All right, so 
Let's talk about God's character, loving God, all loving God. God is love. How do we square that? How how's that relationship work with a place like hell? So, like I said, if we start with love, understanding God is a God of love, I have a difficult time understanding how we logically get to God sending people to hell. So I would want to say that God, as a God who is love, does not send people to hell. Um, You know, sometimes we want to think about um, punishment, about uh discipline, things like that. And well, you do that when you love someone, right? A a parent disciplines a child because of love. Yeah. Right. Which is true. I'm completely with everyone on that. Uh, But a parent because of love also doesn't send their child to eternal torment, right? That's not... (laughs) That's not discipline. That's not punishment. That's right. not anything that we would say, oh, that, that that's what a loving parent does, right? right. So don't we, we can't equate the idea of discipline with eternal condemnation and punishment in hell forever and ever and ever and always to a degree that is far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. That Those are two completely different things, and uh, which is why, just like we would say with a parent doing something like that, that it's hard to understand how a loving God can do that. And I would argue that I don't think that we can. I I, I think to say, and again, I, I hope I don't come off as at least too heretical in saying this. I, I think to say that God's love causes him to send people to hell is the equivalent of, uh, you know, almost saying that, well, out of love, uh, a, a parent neglected their child, mm. right? They weren't fed. They weren't given clothing or um, anything like that. It's like, you know, we're just going to neglect them and let them uh, suffer in all aspects of their life, right? That That's how a parent gets thrown into prison, yeah. right? We recognize that that's not right. Um, so, but on the same time, we balance that with, okay, God is a ju- God of Discipline, punishment, right? God is a God of wrath, of justice, of righteousness throughout Scripture. So while on the one hand, I wouldn't want to say God as a God who is loved does not send people to hell. On the other hand, I want to say because God is a God of justice and a God of righteousness, what God does do is he allows our sin to send us to hell. God allows us to send ourselves to hell, in other words. I, I think that's the best way to think about God. I think that gives us the best picture of God. I think that's how we best balance these two. And, and to further uh, argue for this point, I, I think it's important to realize that eternal death, uh, hell, uh, whatever language you want to use, hell is caused by sin, not by God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sinned. Paul is connecting death as a direct consequence of sin. Hell isn't a consequence of God. It's a consequence of sin. That's what sin does. Sin kills. Sin separates us from God. That's what sin does. God doesn't separate ourself or God doesn't separate himself from us. God doesn't separate us from him. Sin is what separates the two. 
A lot of the times we want to talk about hell as eternal separation from God. And if we want to talk about hell like that, we have to understand God's never going to separate himself from us. God is never going to force us to separate ourselves from him. But God does allow us to separate ourselves from him by living a life contrary to God, living a life of sin. And it's sin that separates us from God. It's really not even us. We're making the choice to sin, and that's, but it's the sin that is what makes the gap between God. Sin is what causes death, in the words of Paul here in Romans chapter 5, which I think that in and of itself has an application for the way we think about and treat people who live in a way that maybe we as Christians would recognize. That's not the way God intended for us to live, but we blame the sin you know, we, we, we say hate the sin, not the sinner. Right. And I, I, I think that's a biblical concept because it's not even it's it's sin that causes all this. We might make the choice to do it, but ultimately sin is the problem, not people. People were created in the image of God. People uh, in Genesis were declared as very good. So it's it's a sin problem, not a people problem. And so, again, when we think about does God send people to hell? Well, No, because God doesn't separate himself from us. God doesn't kill. God doesn't destroy. Sin does that. And so that kind of moves to, okay, so how do we think about the judgment of God? Because we want to say God is a God of justice, a God of righteousness, can't have anything to do with sin, can't leave sin unpunished, uh, things along those lines. So how do we understand God is a God of justice and righteousness, and this relationship to sin that causes death, causes eternal death, causes separation from God, and all of those kinds of things. Well, I I, I think that when we look through Scripture, we see God's judgment come out in two ways. I think we see God's judgment in a temporal sense, that is, in a earthly here and now sense which is the idea of God's discipline, God's punishment. And that is for the purpose of repentance, to get people to change, to get people to come back to God. I think Israel's the primary example, right? We all think of all the ways that God punished Israel, and they're all for the purpose of getting Israel to repent. God doesn't punish Israel just because he likes to do it, right? because he gets joy out of seeing his people suffering. Again, going back to that parent metaphor, same thing with the parent. He, he does it to get Israel to change, to get Israel to repent. And we see in Hebrews the idea of God disciplining his people. We see in Corinthians, Paul make this weird statement about how when they were taking the Lord's Supper in a wrongful manner, that that's, God has in essence caused people to get sick because of that. Um, we, we, we see some references like that even in the New Testament. So we have the idea of, yeah, God does things now to try to get us to change. I think that's connected to the idea of God's justice, God's judgment, God's righteousness. But then <clears throat> I think you have the idea of God's eternal judgment, which is where we would maybe want to say God sends people to hell, or hopefully that's what we wanted to say before you listen to this episode. <laughs> Um, maybe when we're done, we want to use a little bit of, of different language, but when scripture talks about eternal judgment, which by the way, you don't find any of that in the old Testament, uh, just a side note, uh, 
I think we've talked about this before, but the Old Testament has no concept of afterlife, really. You have Sheol, the place of the dead, where all the dead go, but there's not a division of heaven and hell, eternal punishment. It's all temporal. It's all now. Uh, Salvation is here and now for Israel. Uh, God offers salvation by uh, you, you thrive, you live in peace, your crops grow, and if I judge you, you have a famine. You're attacked and overthrown by another army. It's all temporal. We begin to get the idea of eternal judgment, eternal reward, only when we move over to the New Testament. And so what's interesting about the way the New Testament talks about this eternal idea of God's judgment is really less the idea of God sending us to hell, not really the idea of God punishing sin eternally, but really more of the idea of God handing us over to the results of sin. So, I go back to a passage we read earlier, Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1 and verse 18, Paul says that God's wrath, God's judgment is coming against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. God's judgment is coming against sin. But what's interesting is that Paul defines and describes that judgment by talking about God handing them over. So I I want to real quickly read verses 24 through verses 27 here of Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So the way Paul describes the wrath of God is this idea of handing them over. God gave them up. God allowed them uh, to receive the due penalty for their error, right? That's the way God's wrath and judgment is described, as God giving humanity over and, in essence, saying, if you want to sin, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. You have free will. You have the choice to do that. If that's what you're, you're going to want to do, I'm going to allow you to do that. And if that's what you're going to do, you're going to reap the natural consequences of sin. That goes back to the idea that eternal death, that a separation from God is not something caused by God, but it's something that caused that is caused by sin. And God's judgment is to say, hey, if that's what you want to do, do it. And you're going to reap the consequences of it, and I'm not going to do anything to stop it. I'm going to allow you to reap the consequences of your sin. I'm going to allow sin to do what sin does which is lead to death and separation from me. I think that's how scripture describes the judgment of God. And so when we put all these things together, when we say, well, a loving God could not send people to eternal torment. And when we add that to the idea of, yes, God's also a God of justice, a God of judgment, a God of wrath. But the way that scripture describes that is that God 
hands us over. God allows us, if, if we want to serve, as Paul says, the creature rather than the creator, if we want to live in sin, God's going to allow us to do that and reap the benefits of that. Yep. Uh, eternal death, separation from God that's caused by sin and not by God. So when we put all these together, I think the image that we're left with I think the image scripture gives us from Genesis to Revelation about God. I think what we learn about God in Jesus, and so what I would argue is the best and healthiest way for us to think about God, is that rather than sending people to hell, that God is a God who is willing to do anything to keep us from hell, including giving up his own son to do that. And I think that's what we see. I, I, I want to close with a passage that we mentioned earlier, John 3.16, uh, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you notice what John says there? God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus wasn't sinned sent to bring about judgment, to bring about condemnation, to bring about wrath. Jesus was sent to save people. The wrath, the judgment, the hell part is a result of sin, not a result of God. And I I think that's the healthiest way for us to, to think about God, that God's going to allow us to sin and reap the benefits of that if that is what we choose. And so God isn't a God going around trying to judge and condemn everyone. That's sometimes the way we present God. God's just going around trying to find people to squash. Right. That's not God. <clears throat> if we want to squash ourselves, if we want to send ourselves to hell, God's going to allow us to do that because he's given us free will. But the picture we get in Scripture is God's not going around squashing people, but God's going around doing everything he possibly can to save us. God is doing everything he possibly can to keep us from hell. In other words, God's doing everything he can to keep us from ourselves. We're the problem, not God, because we choose to sin. And sin becomes the big problem because it leads to all of these other things. And God was willing even to go to the extent of giving up his own son on the cross in order to keep us from hell, in order to save us. I think that's how we think about God with love at his core, but still justice and righteousness being a part of his essence, that God's going to allow us to reap those benefits. But we think about God through the lens of love as doing everything he can to save us. Rather than God sending us to hell, God will allow us to send ourselves there, but we want to think about God in a way that God's going to do everything he can to keep that from happening. For more study on those things, just it, it, you'll find it all throughout Scripture, every bit of it. Um, but judges are a good example of this very character and action of God. Uh, when Israel found themselves in the natural consequences of their own actions, uh, enslaved to others and going down those paths and reaping all of those horrible things that sin brings with it, uh, God is there to hear their cry and rescue, because that's what God wants to do, is rescue. Uh, And Paul states later, uh, I believe in in Timothy, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to 
uh, eternal life, salvation, to know Jesus. Uh, and that's that's what God wants, uh, is to save, but we have the choice, and we can we can choose to go down the path that will lead to our own destruction, and God will allow us to make those decisions uh, and reap those natural consequences. One quick comment to conclude. When we go back to the beginning, I mentioned all of us probably know someone or have at least been uh, um, a part of conversations where people kind of want to reject Christianity because they, they, they can't understand why a loving God would send someone to hell. Yeah. To, to me, that, that's one of the biggest reasons why this question is important is because it impacts the real lives of real people in their coming to faith. Yeah. And it impacts our lives in our development of faith. What, what kind of relationship do we have with God? Is it a relationship where we are fearful of God? Because all that results in us is it, it, it results in us thinking terribly of ourselves, which can lead to depression, addiction, all kinds of things uh, along those lines. And it does to some people. It it leads us of living out of a place of fear of doing something wrong because God's just sitting there waiting for us to mess up so he can squash us. And when we do everything because we're afraid of doing something wrong, we end up most of the time not doing anything at all. I would rather um, I would rather make mistakes trying to do what is right than doing nothing because I'm afraid to make a mistake mm. or do something wrong. And I think that's what God calls us to do too as a God who is love, as a God who's also a God of forgiveness and grace as well as, as a God of, of judgment, a God that's – see, w- when we think about God as doing everything he can to save us rather than a God who sends us to hell, then I think that empowers us to begin to be willing to maybe at times make mistakes in the pursuit of doing what's right, of spreading the kingdom of God, of saving other people. We have that better image of God, which I think is ultimately where if we want to be mature Christians, we want to grow I'm not sure if I've said this before, but the Old Testament talks about the fear of God being the the beginning of of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Right. Uh, but it doesn't say that it's the end. So sometimes maybe that's how we come to faith is that well, I'm I'm scared of going to hell, so I'm going to become a Christian to keep that from happening. Okay, maybe that's where we start, but that's not where where we want to end. Again, I compare that to a a parent. Maybe I think I would still argue that this isn't the best parent-child relationship. But maybe when the a kid is is young, there's probably going to be a certain level of of fear of parents of disappointing parents of being uh, disciplined by parents, so on and so forth. But even in psychology, there's a term called uh, differentiation. And the mark of becoming a mature adult is differentiating from your family. And that is you you get to the point where you balance, yes, I still care about my family. I still care about what they think, but I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to make my own decisions, even if my family doesn't like that. And I'm not going to live in fear 
of disappointing or making my family, my parents angry. That That's what it means to mature. And so mm-hmm. you move to a relationship of mutuals, a relationship of love, a relationship of adult to adult, where you grow out of any kind of fear of maybe it's not even disciplined punishment. Maybe it's just fear of letting them down to become a mature individuated I think that's actually the technical term, individuation, which is connected to differentiation. But we won't get too much into that. But you get the idea to you become your own individual. And that's where I think we want parent-child relationships to go, whether we're the parent or the child. I think we recognize, okay, that's a mature adult-parent-child relationship. And I think that's a mature adult-God people relationship that that's where we want to mature and grow to that may not be where it necessarily starts but that's ultimately where we want it to end which is why i think this is important because this is where we want to grow to this is the way i think we live healthy as a christian as the church in our relationship to god and i think this is vital to our witness to the world of the god that we serve the way that we present him to others is going to directly impact who wants to be in a relationship with this God. Do you want to be in a relationship with a God that's looking for every reason to send you to hell or a God who's looking for every way to save you? I'm going to take the latter. Maybe you disagree, but uh, that's the God that I want to serve. And I think that's the God we do serve. I'm with you. And I've got nothing more to add to that. If you do, uh, email us strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Get in touch with us on Facebook or get a hold of Spencer on Twitter. Call him a heretic or whatever. Doesn't bother me. I'm not there. Uh, Join the club. (laughs) Join the club. I'm Jack, and that's Spencer. We'll see you next time.